A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we're going to do a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 1, In Selden's Shadow. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of July. For early access and ad-free episodes and other exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. Also, if you're enjoying our content and want to give us a leg up, leave us a review and or a rating on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find our podcasts, even on Terminus. Even on Terminus. We love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air, so send us feedback for the next episode. Send emails to empire at thelorehounds.com or head to our website and you can use our contact form or leave us a voicemail. There's a little button, you click it and you can record straight from your computer and we can include that in the next episode. Yeah, we also have a Discord server where we have a foundation channel. You can chat with other fans of the series, fans of science fiction generally. We do live watches for patrons. We have a lot of fun there, you know, and uh I also, David, I love your email for the Foundation Show. You surprised <laughs> me with that. I chuckled empire at thelorehounds.com. I hope people use it because it's a, it's a good, good little joke. That's right. Well, and of course, you made a nice theme song. So there we go. Now we've patted each other on the back. The teamwork we, makes the dream work. That really. is right. Uh, it makes the empire run or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Poorly. we need a third if we're going to have a, <laughs> uh, if we're going to do it that way. Uh, so, John, welcome back to season two of Foundation. How you feeling? Uh, well, I feel like I never left season one because I finished it yesterday. <laughs> oh, you did you not watch it in the? No, when it I aired? didn't. Oh, wow. I, didn't. I okay. watched like two episodes last year. I guess we'll talk about our histories now. Yeah, I watched as about well. two episodes last year when it came out uh, and, and not live. I caught up a little later and it just didn't grab me at first. Mm-hmm. So I didn't finish it. Sure. And um, finally, you said, let's cover it. I said, all right, you know what? It seems like an intriguing enough premise. I knew that there were COVID issues. And so I'm willing to forgive a lot for that because it was a tough time to be in film. And I'm glad that I finished the first season because honestly, it was a rewarding payoff. I thought, oh, good. A I'm glad you liked things it. Things were surprising to me. Yeah, I thought that it's a show that's brilliant in the way that it tells such a huge scope story, but grounded mm-hmm. in characters that 
in very believable ways stick mm-hmm. around for the long haul and in different ways it's not like everybody's a clone it's not like everybody's in cryo it's it's all these unique circumstances it feels like happenstance it feels like a bunch of coincidences coming together rather than a forced uh written story story arc and so i'm glad i stuck with it i'm really excited for season two so far i like season two better Mm-hmm. And in we're only one episode in. So, right. Yeah. How about you? What's your background on Foundation? Uh, for the television series, I was active as it was airing. I was there weekly. I was chatting on the Bald Move Discord when we had that running and uh, really was invested in the show. I had mixed feelings when it aired initially. I thought the rougher edges and the not so great bits outshadowed the really good bits. But then I too, like you did a, well, I did a rewatch. I got, I got it done just before the new season started. And I was actually more pleased than I thought I was going to be. I was bracing myself for the cringy parts Uh to be super cringy when they weren't really that bad. And your expectations were probably lower, right? I, I had lowered expectations, so yes, my experience yeah. was was good. And then the good stuff was still as good uh, as it ever was. Um, Lee Pace, you know, I, I may be married to a woman, but I will tell you this, Lee Pace can rule my empire any day of the week. Oh my God. I said on the Discord, <laughs> can someone send me the empire exercise regime? Because I need it. Yeah, seriously. I need it. Bro boy, oh boy, Brother Day is rocking it. I tell you what, and wait, yeah, well, we're going to get into it in a minute as, as day did get into it. Um, so yeah, I was really happy that season one exceeded my expectations, even though I'd lowered them, it still met pretty high marks. I still have the problems that I had, but they were less in comparison of the totality of the show yeah. and the, and the work I read the books a long time ago and I've, I never finished the two times I think I, I attempted to read it. I, I got ground down somewhere about of the first three books. I ground down somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle of the la- the third book. Okay. And I just felt like, ah, I don't know what's going on. It didn't hold me. And I, I just set it down and never picked it up. Gotcha. So I'm generally familiar with, with the big ideas I think that uh, Goyer, I also went back and I listened to a couple of interviews with uh, David Goyer, who was on the Bald Move podcast. And that, those were really illuminating and interesting uh, conversations that he had. He did a mid-season and an end-season um, conversation with those guys. And that was really interesting to get his uh, perspective on the show and how do you make a show like this. And I agree, the ability to take really huge concepts and bring them down to a scale that we can relate to and, and to create the structure of the empire and the genetic dynasty that is inspired. That is just brilliant. That is not something in the book. And that's where, when we talk about adaptation versus inspiration and we talk about, you know, did the message and the medium, you know, is, are there changes because of the medium that you have to do to the message and does it, it target that sort of these X, Y axes. I thought it, it on that, on one of those points there, that was just brilliant storytelling and brilliant additive yeah. quality to this show. And it is some of the best of this show is that, uh, 
stuff that doesn't exist in the books. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's, that's really interesting to me. And I'm going to say this now about expectations is I'm on record saying, you know, Mandalorian, put your pajamas on, enjoy it, you know, have your chocolate milk, have a great time. This is not that show. No. And I am, I do have high expectations for this season. Fair and enough. I think that that's justified because yeah. it's a show dealing with really heavy concepts big with concepts. these big budget, mm-hmm. beautiful scenes with this very serious messaging, this very serious tone, even if there is a little humor sprinkled in. And so I, I will be critical where I don't think it meets the mark. But I'm hoping that this show doesn't make me want to put on my pajamas, that it really draws me in. It makes me want to think about things bigger than me. I was uh, watching the trailers when they came out, and it those trailers made me really nervous for the show, that it was going yeah. to sink for down. For season two? Yeah, for season two. Oh. Uh, I felt that it was scraping bottom a little bit and, and a little bit too much explosion and big set piece stuff. and. I think this is my tinfoil hat theory on that is that they intentionally are making those trailers to be exciting and yeah. eye candy to, to get people in, to get right. the viewer, viewer numbers up. So right. um, my feeling is so far, what they've shown us is that there is going to be some really, like you said, good high concept stuff that uh, yeah. should, sh- should raise to a higher level of expectation. Yeah. And you know what? Even this episode, I think, had better dialogue than season one. I thought it was much closer to a Game of Thrones kind of dialogue where Mm -hmm. it's more of a battle of words than it is just straight up conversation. Still don't like Salver's acting. I don't don't like the performance of Salver Harden. It feels very like modern American and it bothers me. I am with you there. I like Leah Harvey a lot. And yet somehow her delivery is yeah. not, it's, it's not matching it, especially when you compare it to, um, to Lulu Bell and she's, yeah. there's some I scenes think, but, in this episode. But are so. we just Americans who can't hear our own accent and feel like we're in a different world? It's quite that's possible that that's the case. <laughs> that, that because be I hear, possible. I hear a South African accent. I think that's her accent. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Ooh, I'm in a different world. You know, I it almost yeah. I know it's a different accent. It's really New Zealand, but I almost think of Omega from The Bad uh-huh. Batch when I right. hear her voice. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that this narration with the the South African accent, where it's mm-hmm. just, it just feels like I'm being transported somewhere. Yeah, and then I hear this very familiar accent with Salver Harden, and I'm like. I'm not in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. And and that I think it might be a me problem. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to say it out front. Okay. And I'm not going to complain about it again because that's going to get tired. <laughs> I may point out a line or two here or there, but I'll try to <laughs> maybe keep it pointed at the script and yeah. less at Leah Harvey's delivery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think she's doing a bad job. I just don't like I don't think it fits. I don't think mm-hmm. the performance fits. Interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. So well, well, let's just slide it right into your hot takes for episode one of season two. I thought it was great. I thought Uh it was a great episode. It really pulled me in as I was watching it the second time. Although I, I didn't, I had to kind of skip around because I had to get the outline done. I had, had things going on in my house, but as I was watching it the second time and just skipping through, I was like, wow, a lot happened in this episode. A lot happened. A lot happened. Absolutely packed. Yeah absolutely packed and 
I think maybe you said it, somebody said it on the discord where there was such a good balance of action and dialogue action, mm-hmm. and, you know, drama. I don't, that, I don't think I said that on the discord, but I actually have that exact okay. same note in my notes. <laughs> okay. Somebody said it. Okay. And sorry for not including your comment, but yeah, it, it was a really good balance. It was really well paced. I should say. Lee paced. It was Lee paced. That's great. That's great. Thirsty um, much? <laughs> I No, I liked it. Uh, what about you? I am very pleased. I am very pleased that we have a solid show to podcast about uh-huh. again. Yeah. It was I was nervous about do, this one. Yeah, it was weird to do an outline, a full depth thing and thinking about research topics and all that stuff. So it's great to be back on the mic on a proper show that deserves uh, full attention like this. So that's exciting. Uh, I agree that the balance between the fast and slow elements in this episode were really great. As you said, it's just packed and there's packed. It's full of world building and story setup, but all of it is nestled nicely within the actions and consistent things of what a character would say in the moment to that other character. Yeah. None of it feels that awkward uh, stumbling exposition. It all feels yeah. correct in the in the real wor- in the world in the story world. I I think the best example of that is Brother Day walking in and talking about the I forgot what they're called, but the the eyeless assassins, yes, the, the fallen angels, or the, the fallen blind angels. angels. Blind that just angels, felt so angels. clean. That exposition, mm-hmm. I was like, that is clean. Uh, so good job to the writers on that. The my scene was when Day and Dusk were talking as the Queen is arriving. Okay, and yeah, that was good too. Yeah, and they they were talking about a bunch of stuff there, and that I was like, wow, this is excellent world building. It feels so natural, so right, visually stunning. Uh, as it's worth uh, uh, every penny that they're putting into the VFX. There is some the iffy stuff on Synax. Um, inside the prime radiant, we can talk about it a little bit later, later. I just, no, I love those scenes inside the prime radiant. So I'll, I'll fight you on that one. I'm happy with the story of what's going on inside the prime radiant, but from a technical aspect, I could see where they put the lights. I could see Ah. the, I could, in my mind, I could see Ah. the guy in the background with the sliders moving the lights up and down. And it just felt very, well, that Black sounds like a me problem. Theater. It is a me problem, and right. I will own that. Uh, no problem at all. That said, none of those things took me out of the story, and I was pretty stoked to uh, be back in this world and, and ready to go. I think, um, what's our coverage plans here overall? We're, we're, we're just going to do full break breaks. Yeah. This is very exciting. We're back. Yeah. Baby, we're back. (laughs) And uh, so we've got feedback. We definitely need your feedback and we need conversations on the, on the discord. I wanted to get into a little bit of Asimov and the foundation book series, but I think we'll drop that in the next episode. That sounds good. Just to give it some context and some understanding of where in the world. Maybe I'll read the trilogy by the next episode. I'm just kidding. You're crazy like that. You'll do it. (laughs) And and then you'll get in a wheel of time, complete reread before uh, September 1st. Uh, I'm I'm on book 11 right now. (laughs) See, see, I knew it. I've always Um, got one going. uh, So I think we'll, it'd be nice to have some of the context for the story uh, from the book and about who Isaac Asimov was, because he's a huge figure in in science fiction literature. And uh, yeah, other than that, I think we're ready to get into our episode breakdown, if you're good. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Another thing I want to do on these, I found a really cool site that has a TV show 
transcripts, so I'll be able to collect these up quite easily. Nice. I want to read Gail's monologues at the start of our scene breakdowns. Because okay. a lot of times in her monologues, her voiceovers, there's interesting stuff and right. contextual stuff that that sets up the episode. So go for it, but you have to do the accent. I don't think I can do that. There's an old there's saying. An old saying. All right, I'm, I'm <laughs> that sounded like a bad Mel Gibson. Accent. I know that wasn't good. I think you were watching Mad Max. Uh, uh, yeah, original Mad probably, Max so many times. Probably. There's an old saying: Any man can be a success, but it takes a madman to be great. As waters rise, territories shrink. That's what happened on Synax. And that's what happened with Empire. Day by day, decade by decade, the First Foundation nibbled away planets from from edges of Empire, and Empire steadily contracted. It has been 173 years since the Foundation has been exiled to Terminus. And just like Synax, the dark waters were now rising everywhere. The Foundation had flourished, but a flourishing Foundation posed a threat. How long would it be before Empire thrashed like a drowning man? Not long at all, as it turns out. Harry Seldon was always a little adrift, if you ask me. He was aware of the rising seas from an early age, before he knew which questions were too crazy to ask. And when his thoughts led him to strange new conclusions, he didn't reject them. All right, I got to add something here because I didn't get to cover season one. So now I got to add all my comments here. I love in the world building here, how they call the empire empire and they mm-hmm. call the emperor empire. It's all synonymous Perfect. with the word. It's, yep. it's, there is no concept of empire outside the empire, right? which is super great exposition because you don't have to say anything, but you're telling me how completely they have ruled over these people for a millennia, mm-hmm. millennium. And how uh, the political structure is embodied in the man, and the man embodies the political right. structure. That's it. There is no difference. The man is the institution. Exactly. Yeah. Which is very amazing. cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. I think when I'm reading these uh, monologues, I may break them up again next time so that they fit into the place in the in the show. But there's always interesting things. I, I really remember that from season one was that um, Gail's monologues always – brought me extra insights and brought me extra context. So, yeah. All right. So we got a 50 minute story ish and I I guess the intro has changed a little bit, but I think I will look at that a little bit closer in the next coming episodes to see what the exact changes are. Um, But then we open on a black and white scene of Harry Selden ranting and raving at the end, he gets pulled or sucked backwards out of his uh, black box stage prison thing. Yeah. What did you think I loved this? it. I okay. loved the scene. I see your notes here. Rant, uh, not liking it. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. The minute he was thrashing, uh-huh. I was I was so like, Jared Harris is back. We got him. <laughs> He's going for it. He's pulling out all the stops. I th- The thing for me is it, it just felt. The, there's something about the visual look that's very clean and it feels very black box theater. It, it mm-hmm. felt like something out of Lear about, you know, somebody's. Well, he is in know, a digital artificial environment. Yeah. I, okay. Maybe, you know, like that's the point yeah. is it's supposed to be clean and empty. And again, I just feel I can feel the 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 lighting equipment around him and I can't separate that. It doesn't look uh, ephemeral and, and ethereal to right. me. Uh, right. Okay. That's it. It's fine. Anyway, right. uh, I really liked that he was raving at both Gail and himself. 
Yes. Yes. Because I think Harry is, you know, he's a madman, as she points out in yeah. the intro, which I love that line, too. You know, it takes a madman to be great. Yeah. And great segue into him being a madman. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. I think that's when that line happens. And he gets that he's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. Harry Seldon knows that he is both the problem and the solution. Mm-hmm. And that is a struggle internally that he has is how much yes. control do I take? Right. How much do I give to other people? And who do I give that control to? Which all goes into uh, the even a, a crisis even before they get to Terminus, which is how does he manage his uh, ascension amongst all the people into a messiah-like figure? Right. And that it doesn't work right. that he's still physically among them. He needs to remove himself physically from that relationship. Right. Well, and I guess he had an illness as well. We right. find out at some point in season one. Yeah, we do. And I tried to look that up today, actually, and I couldn't find it. So if there's any astute probably a fake listeners out show there, thing, probably. Yeah, we'll see. It's a foundation thing. Couple of lines that I loved from this uh, ranting and raving. Uh, God's made wine to compensate for those who cannot afford revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Just drown yourself in your sorrows if you can't yeah. afford to actually exact revenge. Wine is cheap sometimes. That's right. And sometimes. then the other line was the gods made knives to satisfy those who can't digest your grandest plan. So, like, murder the people that. Don't understand your, <laughs> your yeah. That's genius. not great, huh? No, it's and really it, madness. But but who did he use a knife on? Himself. He himself exactly. So can yeah. he not digest his grandest plan? I think that's what's going on in the scene, right? Part of what's going on in the scene. What we we're talking about is that when he's ranting and raving, sure yeah. he's pissed off at Gale, but he's dealing with his own sense of self. He's a weird dude. He's a He's weird a dude. Weird and dude. as uh, Gail says, uh, any man can be excess, but it takes a madman to be great. So, Exactly. All right. We shift to Synax and the last refuge of the rising floodwaters where Gail and Salvor pick up from where ex- almost exactly where we left them off uh, at season one. They ecstatic, they ecstatic, they establish their genetic relationship. And we learn that Salvor is now older than Gail. Ah, yes. So, I mean, I think that was pretty clear last season, too. You know, she's a little older than Gail. This is a strange situation, and we didn't really get to see much of it last season. I do enjoy that they don't immediately get into this, yes. be, you know, beautiful relationship. It's not a Paul Simon song. You know, it's not a mother and child <laughs> reunion. It's It's something weirder. Right. You have a, yeah. a mother who's older than her daughter who never met her. And she is just not knowing what to do with herself. She was not prepared to have a child. She was not asking for this. She's or she was, but she was prepared to have it with Raish. Sure. In a, sure. an entirely different set of circumstances. Right. And, and also she is now in a crisis of identity herself where she's lost everyone she knows. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's, finding out that she actually has a family member, a direct descendant. Right. It's a hard, and, it's a hard thing to go through. I feel for Gail. And the, the interesting thing about Salvor is that she has Gail's memories as these visions. Yeah. 
So she's able to establish or to create a fantasy of what this relationship might be like, where Gail has absolutely no preparation for this at all. Mm. And has no, whereas Salvor is seeking the connection and wanting it and, and identified it. Right. It, for for Gail, it's like you said, it's just not at all ever anything that she thought of. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, Gail makes a great point of, you know, I didn't have time to prepare for this. And that's not in this scene, but I think yeah. you, that, that line sort of frames this whole episode. All right, we shift scenes and we see a new and improved Trantor with a set of three orbital rings. And then we get quite an opening scene with Brother Day and Demerzel in bed. Brother Day instructs Demerzel to just be herself. <laughs> so this right away, I was, I, I until they actually showed Demerzel's face, I was like, oh, okay, well, Day's just, you know, having a thing. And then, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is weird. And in that moment, I started to learn that this Brother Day is not any of the Brother Days that we knew before. Instantly, right. they're story building, even without uh, right. a lot of dialogue, right. just in the physicality of what's yeah. going on. Lee Pace just amazing job playing different personalities of the same character. It's so weird, right? Because it's somebody who had the same upbringing each time, the same DNA, but just grew into a different person based on circumstances and experiences. And he nails it. He really nails the differences. The first brother day is arrogant. The second brother day is sort of unsure of himself and right. A little boy, still a little boy. Yeah. Right. And then this brother day is very it's this brother day is closer to the brother Dawn from the end of last mm-hmm. season where mm-hmm. he's like, wait, maybe, maybe we should break free from these cycles and go pee in love and and explore a little bit. And it's interesting that they reversed brother day and Dawn in their opinions here, because yes. last season you had brother Dawn trying to get them to loosen up the rules. Now you have brother day changing the rules and brother Dawn is like, no man, this is, we are we gotta, the empire. We can't, yeah. we can't be fraternizing with the normies. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's one of the best pieces of writing here. To, to the point, this brother day to the point is different. And I, this comes up later, but he actually is wearing earrings later on. Oh, I didn't in notice the episode. that. Yeah. So, so right away, they're, they're, they're doing all of this great story building and, and the actor delivery really gives us a sense that this is a radically different person nice. in the, in the form of day. So yeah, yeah I totally agree. All right. Great stuff. Just then assassins enter the chamber and we get a righteous fight scene with a naked Lee pace. <laughs> Day takes some grievous wounds. His personal aura doesn't seem to be working. Demerzel saves him and they finish off the assassins. What did you think of this fight scene? You know, my wife started watching Foundation with me in season one and fell off of it around the time I did and never went back. And I was trying to pitch her on season two and she wasn't really into it. And I said, well, Lee Pace has a naked fight scene. And she she looked up. <laughs> she went, oh, oh, maybe maybe I will watch it with you. Brilliant. And love it. really, really great scene. I loved the different ways he approached them. All the fighting felt really unique. It felt like he mm-hmm. was really 
first of all, it felt like he was fighting for his life, right? He didn't, it didn't feel mm-hmm. like he was overpowered fighting them. It just felt like he was competent in fighting, which is, I think makes sense. You know, it seems like these guys have training and, and he had nothing. He had no weapons, no tools, right. no armor, nothing right. to rely on except his brute physical force. Right. And I like that he would have died if he didn't have the secret weapon of a secret robot, because uh, nobody right. knows that Demerzel's a robot except right. the Empire. So, yeah, I mean, that that really saved him is having that that secret. Yeah. And to be uh, betting her at the same time that this happened, yeah. that's, you know, and he makes that. I point feel like she's mostly around later. anyway. Yeah. Still, yeah. did the uh, do you know if I said Dread Pirate Roberts? Oh, would I that love make- I've I've been twice. I've been the Dread Pirate Roberts for Halloween with my wife. Oh, brilliant. Princess oh, Buttercup. Brilliant. Okay, these these uh, blind angels just they looked for for whatever reason their head wraps and their coloring. <laughs> I, I just kept thinking he was fighting the Dread Pirate Roberts every time I saw them in the frame. So are they so. only mostly dead after the scene? Mostly dead, exactly. Mostly I don't dead. think that means what you mean. You think it means? Um, <laughs> I gather that it was. Goyer set this up and then kind of laid a trap for Lee Pace. And then Lee Pace came and said, well, I, I think I should do this naked. And and Goyer was like, yeah, like, let's do it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, they, this is not a show with full nudity. So it's, no, it's more yeah. for comedy than anything. Which is brilliant. And there's some other comic scenes coming up. So, the fact that he trained this hard and like you said, you learned all these different fighting styles, you yeah. know, unarmed defense against a knife, just straight hand to hand combat, gun combat. Um, that was all so good. Yeah. And it really looked at some points, even though he was fighting for his life, there seemed to be a couple of moments where he was really relishing the combat and the yeah. action and the stakes involved, you know? Well, you think, it's like one of the first times this guy has been alive in his life, right? He mm-hmm. can actually be killed. Mm-hmm. He's vulnerable. Not, neither of those things are usually true. Right. And that's that's interesting for a character like this who is looking for a thrill. He is looking to change things up from all the other Cleons. Is now exactly. he wants to get married and have children. And he's having sex with his... I don't want to call her his mommy friend, Major Doma. but uh, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, I, I liked I liked Brother Dusk later going, oh, why is it bad? Well, she changed her diapers, so that's weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just weird, dude. Yep. Yep. I think this scene, too, also set a tone for me for this season, which is that I feel we're going to get a nice, heady balance of concept of character relationships, cool sci-fi tech and raw action. And this scene really brought all of that around because we have these two characters, you know, engaging and and talking uh, and he's saying like, don't, you know, don't use a a fake voice, use your normal robot voice. Right. You know, so that's, that tells you a lot about characters. Um, and then there's cool sci-fi tech, her head being cleaved on and the stuff that we learn about her and then just some awesome action, just really visceral, powerful, um, uh, uh, ass kicking. Yeah. Yeah. You can have some fun times. So it was a great balance. Yeah. Agreed. 
All right. Uh, a half-headed demerzel carries Brother Day to the clinic and tosses him into a med pool of some kind and gives the doctors the bullet on Day's condition and stabilizes him with an injection. This was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The she fact that she's carrying him. him yeah. That like, like a baby. No head or half a head. <laughs> half a head. And uh, yeah. And she's like, give, just give me the thing. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, you guys are too slow. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go handle myself now that he's taken yeah. care of. And yeah, they just they just have this back to tank ready for him. Mm hmm. Why? I guess. Well, you know, injured um, a lot. I mean, the president of the U.S. drives around with, you know, a full paramedic team and an ambulance okay. and all, all that right. good stuff. So, fair you enough. Know, you know, this is the empire. I mean, they could always decant another one, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, you got backups. Yeah. You got backups yeah. on backups. That's right. So, interesting that we learned that uh, Demerzel's consciousness is distributed and not localized in her head. She says yes, that, that is interesting. at some point. Yeah. Um, and uh, I freezed or I, I checked the, the closed captioning and the molecular blade delivered a nanotoxin. So okay. uh, that's why it was so serious and why they needed to you know, right. stabilize him. So more cool sci-fi tech stuff in there. Right. And so the most interesting to me thing to me about the fight is that his shield wasn't working. His aura wasn't yes, working. Yes. Why and how? Yes. And we that know is. that Demerzel had some reservations about working for Empire after this whole deal with her religion last season. Is she involved with it? Is she using this sexual relationship to her advantage to sort of bring down Empire? Mm-hmm. And one might ask themselves if her code is to be loyal to Cleon and all the Cleons as they get further away genetically from the original Cleon. Will she still be bound to follow them or will she have more free will? That's a really good point because at some point, well, she even in season one snaps the neck of the uh, brother Dawn. Right. And that who, was not because that was not really Cleon. Right? Yeah, exactly. She at some est- she made some estimation of saying, OK, your your genetic code is now further, further enough, further enough away that you're not actually right. within my programming scope. Right. That's a really interesting point. I'm worried about what's going to happen to Empire because mm-hmm. well they well they are largely villains they are also entertaining to watch right and, and I don't want them to go away just yet. We're not to the scene yet but it, when she comes in to to interrupt the uh ceremony of the new of the you know the betrothed to be yep. uh coming in and day challenges her uh, about protocol she's like nah dude you she's nobody to me. Uh, right, I'm talking to you, and yeah. you're alone. You're you are my programming. Right, exactly. But is he? Is he? That's the question. Yes. Well, and there's a question. We'll we'll get to it. But uh, we should probably take a quick break, and then when we get back, we can talk about the Prime Radiant. And we're back. Okay, so a strange new space opens up. This is a really big scene, so we're gonna. There's a lot to pack in here, 
And uh, we find Harry Seldon in a strange space that we later learn is actually inside the Prime Radiant. He feels his way around, and then we flash back to his child, childhood on Helicon, where a young Harry Seldon is experimenting with shapes and shadows, and then is abused by his father for taking a page out of a book. Seldon starts to work out the physics of where he is, and then begins to explore. He then meets an apparition of Yana, his former life mate, but then surmises that she's not who she appears to be. The apparition claims to be real and starts to goad him into thinking mathematically as we later learn as a way to heal his consciousness. So, John, how, you, you, you like what's going on inside the Prime Radiant. I do. I do. Uh, I was a little bored at some points with his discussions with Yana, Kale, whoever okay. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the Prime Radiant, I guess. But... At a certain point, I did enjoy this idea that it was every everybody who worked on the Prime Radiant, on the math of the Prime Radiant, left their mark on it. And my question is, did Gail leave anything on it? Because she was saying it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. Somehow it got complete. Who finished it? Or mm-hmm. did the Prime Radiant finish itself? Because mm-hmm. I, it seemed like the Prime Radiant kind of suggested that at a certain point. Maybe I'm the finished product, but... I don't know. I feel like there was something missing and somebody did it. Who did it? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I got the sense that later on it was the prime radiant was, was talking about how it came around to its own consciousness. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that it kind of suggested that I, I keep saying it because Mrs. Davis, it, it, in, yeah. in Mrs. Davis, it, every time somebody called Mrs. Davis, she, uh, the nun would go it. It, right. it's an it <laughs> it's um, an it yes yeah. it's biologically yeah, uh, yeah no matter what it's how it's presenting itself right so right but anyway um yeah so the prime radiant i i think suggests that she completed herself it completed itself but i don't know i don't know if that's possible why did it take 138 years for it to complete itself yeah yeah i don't know good question good these are all good questions uh the I thought that this scene went on a little too long with mm-hmm. him moving around like, whoa, I'm in this weird null space thing and I'm trying <laughs> to navigate. That said, it was cool. The camera work was great. Uh, the The set design was great. Uh, you could see where uh-huh. um, uh, Jared Harris was having to physically change. You know, I'm, I'm sure I, I think they must have had a rotating set because he had to change right. his center of gravity as it's coming around and walking over those difficult things. It did run a little long, but uh, it's fine. It's okay. Okay. So I didn't think it went too long. I enjoyed okay. the length. So in the flashback, when we see his mother and his father, did you see what his father was doing? He was using that sand hologram technology and he had a series of dinosaur-like creatures up hmm. in front of him. So that's another. I'm I'm keeping a list of open questions, and yeah. uh, you know we'll revisit those uh, episode to episode. And so I, I was like, what is that about? It, it, they it, they were very specific, <laughs> and were very presented very clearly. It wasn't like he was just looking into a book or yeah. scribbling on a paper. He was doing something very specific there. So I didn't know what that was about. Yeah, who knows? Is that is he looking at human history with the dinosaurs, or is he sort of logging things that are on different planets that humans have explored? Yeah, and they're on the, on this planet called Helicon, which is uh, very remote and hard to get to because of 
uh, right. its environs. So I think we're going to go back to Helicon, though, because I they talked so. about the second foundation, establishing the second foundation, which is a, a big part of yeah. the Yeah. And I, I don't think Harry's going to let Gale steer after this. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're going to Helicon indeed. Right. They need to have a little bit of a reckoning. Yeah. All right. As we zoom out from the Prime Radiant, we see Gale, who is having a nightmare, and we get some flashes of a silhouetted figure in a fiery scene. Gale wakes in a panic and then dives into the water, thinking that um, Salvor needs rescuing or something. Salvor returns with breakfast. They discuss uh, the Prime Radiant and Salvor's truth sense. Yeah, there's there's a line, and I'm not sure if it's this scene or later, but where Salvor, grasping for anything to be the same, goes, oh, I see the past and you see the future, so we have something in common. And Gail does not pick up on the hint and just goes, well, that's not really the same. And she goes, yeah, I guess not. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I feel for a, Salvor. I feel for an awkward her. thing there. Yeah. Well, you know, if um, Gail has future visions and Salvor has flashbacks, I think they are the Kwisatz Haderach. What? The yeah, that's a Dune thing. The, yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's a Dune reference. And there's a whole bunch of stuff related to Dune and Paul Atreides about uh, being able to see into the future and the Benny Gesserit in the past. So there's a whole bunch of interconnectivity between these two big story worlds. And I thought it was a, they're, they're touching on something that's very interesting here, which is, you know, what does it mean to know the future and what does it mean to know the past? And then how does that affect your actions in the present? Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I guess psychohistory, the whole point of it is using the past to tell the future. Yes. Is it the same? That's the question. It, it, statistically, right? It's a it's a mathematical right. probability statistics. I'm sure if if we have a, any mathematical listeners out there, that would be some interesting. We got to get feedback. an expert in here, a statistician. Yeah, for sure. Um. So yeah, I I just I think it's it's interesting stuff, and I think we need to keep a, an eye on it more because Goyer's not a kind of showrunner that's not going to be doing this. If he's putting, you know, if right. he's giving. Uh, Gale future visions and Salvor past visions, and then he brings them together. There's yeah. something going on here. There's a there's a reason. There, are these two halves of the same coin? The coin that Salvor keeps. Ah, working? nice, oh. nice work there, guy. Thank you. Um, I and I also want to put a pin in the flash forwards that Gale is having this silhouetted figure in a fiery scene. What's that pointing to? Obviously, that's that's yet to come. Yeah, maybe it's sel- Selden being. <laughs> mischievous again <laughs> Could Can, be. Could i be. want to say something here too when we're in science fiction let's stop slightly changing the spelling of english names and pretending like it's a new thing harry h-a-r-i gale <laughs> g-a-a-l it's like oh man just just use the name if you're going to use it Use the name or make up your own name, but don't do don't do both. You can't do both. <laughs> All right. All right, old old man John. There you go. <laughs> uh lots of shots I- in this um conversation where the prime radiant is in the frame. So there's a lot of low angle stuff where uh-huh. Salvor may be behind and the prime radiant's up in front, or they switch and they they're keeping the prime radiant in 
view in, in this conversation the whole time. So interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. On Terminus, the vault awakens, question mark, leading to a debate amongst the foundationers about their readiness for war. However, Selden never appears. What a withholding guy. Is he there, though? That's the question, I guess. Uh, yes. I mean. Did he get beamed up, Scotty? Is he? Well, it's interesting because in this, the portrayal of Selden in the vault, I'll just say, is different than the books. And in this one, it does feel like his consciousness are there. And I think Ga- or Salvor even says in this conversation, wait, there's two Harrys. Yeah. Right. Well, no, so, I, I, I think he was there the first time. My question is, is he still there? Yes, Did I think he he's still there. I think somehow. he's on ice. No, okay. I think he's there. Okay. I think there's a version and, of him there. Yeah, and, and Selden version- seemed a lot more sane on, from coming from the vault That's a than good point. he did from the ship and now the Prime Radiant. Right. That's a good point. For some reason, that version of Selden is insane. And my question is, are we going to get to a point where there's two Seldens actively working against each other? Ooh, that's interesting. I like that. I like that. Give me all the Jared Harris you got. That's right. Throw them them at us. Every version you can. I mean, you're throwing Lee Pace at us. Exactly. Did you notice the Invictus in orbit as we came in on this uh, shot of Terminus? I did not, but I believe you. Yeah, there's the, it was just sitting there in orbit. All the rings were aligned. And then as we came in and flew over the city, there were lots of Thespin-style ships on the ground. Okay. Um, so they have integrated the Anacreon and, and Thespin technologies into their, into their you know, planet, into their cultural life. Um, the current warden, so he mentions that it's been 138 years since the last crisis. So that versus what, 178 was a number that was thrown around before. I'm not sure exactly how those line up, but I'm going to trust the showrunners that they actually brought in some, you know, theoretical Hmm. physicist, mathematician, statistical flux capacitor experts. Yeah. uh, So that these numbers are accurate, but this is, um, Warden Jaeger Fount. So here you go. There's a nice science fiction name for you. (laughs) Played by Holt McClarney, who you might recognize from Fight Club. I think that's his most uh, recognizable role. Okay. I've but never the thing seen I Fight Club, so maybe that'll go in old man Whoa. movies. Does it count as an old man movie? No, it counts more as like a Millennial Madness movie, I think. Yeah, I don't. I, I just, I missed it. I don't know what yeah, it was. I just missed it. Happens. It happens. It's an interesting film. It's it's definitely worth a, worth yeah. a viewage. Uh, the thing I'll notice about the new warden, though, is that he's very well equipped and very, very well armed. He does not seem to be a um, a settler scratching out, you know, a a rough existence. Like it seems like they've really raised their game. Yeah. This is like a city now, not just a village. Yeah. Yeah. And in a city, there's even a building over some hills that we can see. So yeah, this is significant. Did you notice the director seemed to have a bit of a smile on his face when he says war with the empire? Like he's been. Yeah. Somebody's thirsty. Yeah. He's thirsty for war. And I do enjoy that not everybody is like, yeah, let's go to war. But also some people are. I mean, that's that's a reflection of our own society, right? Like some people are yeah, more I, hawkish than others. Mm-hmm. Right. And the last thing that was interesting on about the scene was the religious trappings mm-hmm. that we saw around the vault. There was a kind of little foyer-like structure made and there were uh-huh. candles lighting the path. And then if you looked around – there were people in red robes sitting on the ground facing the vault 
as if they are in prayer or in meditation. They've so got their messiah. The, the cult of uh, of Harry Seldon is really making its you know has made a, over the a century plus has uh, has developed and, and made a lot of inroads. I think you, you got plenty of Jared Harris roles to pray to. You know, you have <laughs> King George and. You got the scientists from Chernobyl. You got yes. you got everybody. Yeah. Jared Harris. I mean, when was your first Jared him? Harris experience? Probably Chernobyl. Really? Yeah. I came I to think him I, pretty late. I picked him up in Mad Men. He was the okay. guy. He brought him. They brought him in later in, in the later seasons. And he okay, was, I only watched part of season one of Mad Men, whoa. and I did not watch okay. a lot. Of, you got to remember, I'm younger than you. I was not. I was probably in like middle school when it started. So that's true. Fair it point. was not a thing that I would have been watching. Right. It, it was really one of the markers too of the golden age, the beginning of the golden age of television stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. In Selden's mind prison, he uses the rhythms of Yana's voice to determine that she's actually Calais, whose math he used to make the prime radiant. This also reveals that his consciousness is in the prime radiant. Yeah, um, I do like him being trapped in the prime radiant, partially because it makes him more mobile than he was last season. He's not trapped uh-huh. on a ship. He is in something that can move. The question is... How does he get moved? Because he, he's probably tied to this object. He's not a physical being anymore. Can he design something that can he mm-hmm. can, can he like take over a robot to do it or something like that? Can he can he mind control Gale? Who knows? Who knows what he could do? Because uh, he's Harry freaking Solden and he could do he could do anything he wants. Um, this whole prison within his own work is really interesting to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, I hadn't thought He's about that. Cre- he created I thought about his own way. tomb, you know? Yeah, that's cool. And we were talking in the uh, Earthsea book series that we're doing with Marilyn Arpaquila. We were just reading The Furthest Shore, and one of the quotes from there is about how when you make choices, you become bound to those choices and the results mm-hmm. of those choices. And the further you make uh, the further you go down that, the more you're bound to it. And so here he is. He's ultimately bound by his creation. That's a really right. cool point. I, yeah. Right. I like that. Yeah, he is. And with the person he was ready to throw away, mm-hmm. right? By the person he was ready to throw away, like Gail. Uh, you have a line here, Gail, my tormentor. Yes. What a, what a great <laughs> line, first of all. Did my you ever watch tormentor. Schitt's Creek? Uh, just a few episodes from season one. There's a, an episode where Moira, which is Catherine yeah. O'Hara, which is excellent, excellent performance. Uh, she starts to read reviews online about herself. Mm-hmm. And she goes, my tormentors. And just a very, very whiny voice. And I'm just thinking about that as I hear <laughs> right. Jared Harris. Because tormentor is is a description of somebody who's doing something very intentionally to yeah. you. So. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like Gail the Tormentor. I like that. All right, Anapestic Tetrameter. <laughs> I actually boy, looked oh it boy. up on Wikipedia. You can look it up too. But the one quote that caught my eye is that it's used in a lot of uh, comedic poetry. Okay. And uh, specifically the majority of Dr. Seuss's poems often highly regular as the regularity emphasizes the breezy melodic feel of the meter, though the initial huh. unstressed beat of a line may often be omitted. So uh, it's, it's real 
And uh, I read a lot of Dr. Seuss in the last few years. So I must yeah. know Anapestic I just did the cat in the hat yesterday. Yeah, there you it's, go. It's all over the place. That's right. Uh, I need to f- track down this uh, Ublick book. Uh, you gotta. Was, Maryland yeah. now approves too. Yeah. I so. told you, well, I didn't make it up. It's not a recent thing. <laughs> no. I don't know right? how there could be a recent Dr. Seuss book anyway. The guy's been dead a long time. They've licensed. They've licensed him out. Uh, we have one that's called Hark a Shark that our daughter Wait, really so likes. somebody else is writing the book under the Dr. Seuss name? Yeah, they license it out. Oh, I don't like that. No, no. it's it doesn't, uh, you know. No. It, don't do that. Yeah, no, they Leave have. There's be. a huge library. They they have there's like hundreds of them. Uh, that right are in. There. Right in. <laughs> so... All right, back on Synax, Gail reveals she's trapped Selden in the Prime Radiant and defends her decisions to Salvor, who pleads with Gail to teach her how to use the Radiant. Gail demonstrates the activation and then shows Salvor that they're approaching the second crisis as humanity has veered off course. She tells Salvor if they reach the third crisis, there's going to be potentially an infinite number of crises yet ahead. A lot of crisis, crises, a lot of crises. a lot of a lot of stuff going on here. A lot of a lot of tongue twisters. This was yeah. a very MCU moment here with timelines, Avengers, and yeah. you know all of yeah. that. So okay, here's my question to you though. Yeah, humanity has veered off course largely after the actions of Harry Seldon. Did humanity ever have a huge crisis in its future? if Selden hadn't interfered with the empire. Mm, I'll take issue with there. What, what happened was that Gail's prescience screwed up the timeline. Her abilities are unaccounted for within the statistical model of humanity. Mm. And so she showed up when Reich was murdering his father, uh, his adopted father or what have you. Right. And uh, she was supposed to be on Terminus solving the first crises. Right. So that's why they're veered off. So even though they successfully navigated the first crisis, they're off course because there's a play, there's a, there's a position, there's a, a, a person who has skills that are unaccounted for that is out of position from where they should be. So, but my question to you is then why are there no crises on the second timeline, on the on-track timeline? Was there ever a crisis coming? Yes, there are multiple crises, and they're all plot. They, his math, uh, they they are. They're it was plotted. real, so he he wasn't lying about crises. No, right, coming. yeah, yeah. So the okay. second crisis, there should be crises on that other branch. Maybe they just kept it visually simple, right? So okay. you know, maybe that's uh, let, let's hold it to that. And then the idea was you solve the first crisis, and at every crisis there are multiple. Okay potential, uh, uh, you know, you you could screw up the crisis and then veer off course. Okay. And then as Gail explains, you have a certain amount of time to get it back into the right direction. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll stop taking issue with it then. Yeah. I'm sure they have these tracked out. I'm sure the, the, I'm sure they bought a caseload of red yarn and (laughs) have that all over the, the, yeah, they've got the Charlie day thing going on. Exactly. But I do like that they are showing us the flow, even though it's very, you know, MCUE and, and, uh, you know, red and blue colors, very simplistic. I think that's what we need to do with a, yeah. a big concept here. So again, we're going to bring I, it I down also, to the mundane. 
I would say it has a unique flavor of visual effect. I Foundation has this particle like effect. Yep, yep. That yep. is very cool and feels very unique to the show. Yep. And yeah. Also, and it's I consistent. just want to shout out Bear McCreary is the composer for the show, also mm-hmm. Rings of Power, and yep. does a great job in both. He does. The I listened to the the interviews with Goyer. They spent, I think he said like a couple hundred hours on wow. season one on getting the music. Because this so there's so much music in the background of all of yeah. these scenes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, totally. the, the theme itself, like before I even needed to, I just wanted to make a theme because I just loved the theme song. Nice. Thought it was nice. so beautiful and Very so, cool. you know, moving. Right. Oh, well, you're inspired. That's great. I was inspired. Thanks, Bear. <laughs> the idea of Harry Seldon in a thumb drive, though, kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> the indignity <Yeah>. of it. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, the guy did try to make himself immortal. Here's right. Here's another question I got for you. Is this a solution for Empire? Can we just stop with the stupid clones and just be on a hard drive and give some orders every now and then? Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, well, we know. I, I think you need a leader. You need a. You need that physical embodiment. Okay. You know, people. All right. People need to orient. Selden doesn't think so. Well, but Selden's created a godhead, if you will. That inspires people, but he puts the onus onto the people to solve the answers for themselves, to do innovative thinking within a crisis. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Cleonic dynasty is trying to hold a kind of a stasis to keep things moving and well contained in in a direction. Whereas even though Selden's plan it's remember it's a predictive model it's not a uh it's not he's not controlling the future he's just showing if we if we don't do this then the result is going to be that yeah and the the result is you know a, a very long period of darkness so what's happening though is when people are solving the the crises they are doing their own thinking and being stressed and challenged in the moment and mm-hmm. then he's predicting that they're going to solve the crisis based on statistical probability, right? Okay. history. So. I buy it. Okay. All right. Back on Trantor, Brother Day is painfully healed. <laughs> this was a very funny scene. And throws accusations at everyone in between screams. His <laughs> attackers are revealed to be blind angels without eyes. Day has the investigator killed and orders interrogation of the Shades. Day and Dawn discuss the fear of dying. Day feels like a singular soul and wants children, but Dawn counsels him that children are what will make him mortal. Day then orders an independent neural audit of his brothers. In Demerzel's quarters, Day asks whether their bedroom activities have been indecent, and she reassures him before reassembling her head. <laughs> First of all, that effect was really cool when yes. she was reassembling her head. It was like a stream of string yeah. of nano yeah. string or something. Vi- visuals are unmatched in the show yeah. in science fiction, I would say. Yeah. Um yeah, so this scene like you said was really funny. Really really funny him him throwing out accusations at everyone. Everyone's everyone's the problem because he's in pain and he's just going to tell everyone that they are the problem. Uh, this idea of him doing a neural audit, every time I think the show is out of ideas, it's got a new one. They can comb through your memories, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Dawn or 
Dusk had anything to do with this attack? It's, you know, they, they're throwing out that. They're throwing out Demerzel. They're throwing out the, um, oh, remind me of the, the queen here, uh, Queen Sarath. Uh, Sarath, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then just unknown malcontents in the world. So I don't think I've got enough evidence to make a hypothesis yet. Uh, there's right. lots of interesting suspects, but I'm, I'm not ready to put any internet points down. All right. We'll get you to the end of the Agatha Christie novel by the end of the season. <laughs> Utter the word rest, John, and you die. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, too. Yeah. He really, he had a lot of great lines. And, and as we've been saying this whole time, very different day. Totally Very different. different brother day. Uh, great job, Lee Pace. You are, he's unhinged in a way that none of the other brother days have been. This um, this brother day really makes me nervous too. When he calls in brother Dawn to give him a sort of hug and a kiss, yeah. and then you know he does it with that menacing lovingness, like oh yeah. come in, let's, let's hug it out. Yeah. I'm gonna. It's, it's like your uncle in the mob. Oh man, it's scary. <laughs> it is scary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the the you know somebody get me a robe so my manhood isn't flapping around. And then the way that they turn the camera angles, there's somebody yeah. in the way of his groin area. And then he turns around and he sort of winks at, at uh, Dawn in, in that funny way. Per- perfect. Brilliant. Silly, silly. Uh, dark sector training, psycho encrypted. I, those are some things that I hope that we're going to learn a little bit more about. They sound very science. Yeah, it might just be, it might just be word salad to make it sound cool, which is, that would be fine with me too. If I never find sure. out what those two things are, then whatever. Psycho encrypted. I think that's pretty straightforward as you know, you can't, you can't, um, get into their memories, right? Yeah. You can't get into their memories because they're encrypted within their brain. The uh, little finger twist when he assassinates the Shadow Master. That's yes. a great callback to season one. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool. That was a really terrifying scene in, in season one, too, when he uh, um, is having that conversation with the groundskeeper. Yeah. You remember that with. Uh, yes, with, I do now. Yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about now is when he lists all their, all her yes. descendants and friends. Yeah. That was awful. That was, that was really the worst awful. thing that that brother day did. <laughs> and to keep her alive, uh, you know, in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. A lot of cruelty there. Yeah. All right. Dawn's, uh, sorry, Day's bride to be arrives on Trantor. And as they await her entrance, Dusk scolds Day about betting Demrazel leading Day to throw suspicion on Dusk. We learn that the clones are drifting further from their genetic origin, and Day insists that it is time for a change. Great exposition here. We're drifting further from our genetic origin. We're not the same as the original Cleon. Great, great, great point here, because this had me thinking about, like I said before, is Demerzel going to remain loyal Mm -hmm. to defective clones? That's a really interesting point. I I hadn't thought of that until you started bringing it up. So it's going to be because she's dangerous. She she's is dangerous. dangerous. You saw how she just took that guy Ooh. down. She can yeah. she can fight for her life, and, and she'll snap a brother's neck without a, a second thought. Right, and we know that you know she's a robot, and there was a robot war that we know yes. nothing about. Yes. And yeah, there's a lot. I, I think I read on the Wikipedia, there's like a series on the robot war, wars in Asimov, right? There is. And yeah, is that's a huge a, thing. It's a related. Yep. Is, yep. It, it's a, this is basically a sequel to that. 
Goyer has, it's not a sequel in as much as they weren't written as sequels to my understanding. Don't at me if I'm wrong. I mean, well, write in and correct me if I'm wrong, but be nice about it. Um, But Goyer has confirmed that these are the same universes in in his storytelling. And I believe Asimov did connect the worlds in in his books, but they were not necessarily books that were written intentionally as okay. uh, continuations of each other. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. But so we know that she can fight. We know that the robots can fight yes, very well. Very well. And that they were, uh, she says to Dusk, I believe in season one, that uh, I think Dusk says something to her about, oh, you know, being the last of your kind. And she reminds him that it was your kind that, uh, basically extirpated my kind <laughs> yeah so and that that makes sense why i don't think we've seen any like servant robots or anything around right no we no she's the only one in the world there's there's the machines but it's yeah it's there's no sentience. ai basically right. and so this and the genetic dynasty stuff there's these are more dune crossover conversation uh-huh. things in dune there's something called the I can't pronounce it, the Butelarian Jihad. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, where AI was ascending and humanity wiped it out and then made it illegal to have thinking Mm -hmm. machines. And so- Can we get that over here? Yeah, right? Because- And so they made a- A lot lot of AI in our writing right now. (laughs) They made a a class of people who use the spice and they're called Mentats and they're actually in the movie and everything. And they're human computers. They train their Mm, minds to to be up to computers. But then there's another whole set of concepts that are in the Dune books about drift and complacency and not being uh, innovative or new or fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just sort of being stuck in the same old, same old. And that was a, a big theme that was brought up in season one of this show. So, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, oh, and then we've got some great exposition on queen, uh, Sarah, Sarah, uh, Sarah, I think. Yeah. And the, the, the way that they come in off the ship and what was that ship that she came down from? Yeah, that was uh, very cool. I, I thought I was supposed to recognize it at first and then I mm-hmm. was like, oh no, that's new. And then when she flies over the rings, which we get some detail on the the Trantor's rings. Yeah. So uh, I guess so. they've they've replaced the sky bridge. Yes. That's not a thing anymore. They've got rings now. All right. Gale and Salvor decide to dive to get Salvor's un- ship under from underwater as a hurricane comes to meet them. Salvor can't hold her breath very long, so Gale gives her some of hers, causing her to almost drown. They survive and get the ship running and then rise above the water. Salvor laments their lack of a bond, but Gale tells her to give it time and maybe one day it'll be less weird. Gale calls them the last of the Synaxians. What did you Even think? Even if she can't it, swim like one. Yes, that was very cute. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah. What did it, you. It's starting to warm up, right? Uh huh. Yeah, it, it's starting to warm up. I'm glad. And it feels, I will say, this was some of the better writing between these characters mm-hmm. because it felt like a natural sharing a joke is, is a very easy way to ease into a relationship. Right. Where they finally, you know, poking fun at somebody in a way that connects you to them is a way of breaking the ice and Gail finally made a move because so far she's been pretty cold to Salvor, and I don't think intentionally. 
Kind of but like Joel and had, uh, um, Ellie. <laughs> well, I think Joel was trying to push her away. Right. Whereas actively. I don't think Gail's trying to push Salvor away. No, I think not Gail at wishes all. she could have a good relationship with Salvor, but it's just been weird. It's only been a day. And yeah, and it, they're trapped on this. Know uh, how to react. She's in shock. Flooding planet, you know, yeah. with, uh, you know, no yeah. way off uh, conceivably. Yeah. So uh, as a. As a scene overall, this was my least favorite of the episode. I thought it kind of was a little hokey. Oh, I thought uh, it was pretty decent. Uh, if I Compared to, to the other Salver scenes, I like this one better. Uh, get to the CPU and hard reboot and engine purge. I was just like, yeah, that was pretty bad. That it was, was pretty bad. bad. It was really right. bad. All right. I'll, I'll uh, and then the whole breath thing. And uh, it was, yeah. I get from a plot device, I get it. They need a bonding moment so they can have that moment of humor where Gail can extend yeah. you know the, the like is that how that works you breathe carbon dioxide air into somebody's <laughs> mouth and then yeah, they just yeah. wake up when they were unconscious a second ago is your lip seal properly connected right. you know are you right. actually being able to force into very the strange yeah uh, i don't know but they, the, it's almost like she's transferring consciousness it was that was it was you're right that was a little silly yeah, and just the the whole ship and the flood and the underwater and can we swim down there i i didn't really like I didn't enjoy it th- that much. And I, that was the least of my enjoyment was at the end of season one last year when she's uh, swimming down, see, she's seeing the beacon flashing light, the whole landing mm-hmm. on, on Synax stuff that just, you know, it was beautiful, but they, they got to get remote start in this universe, you know, <laughs> they need to add that to their clicker. That's right. I've got it on my phone. I can remote Ex- exactly. Start. There you go. So, all right. The Empire welcomes the Doyen of the Trade Leagues, prime witness of the Cloud Cathedral, and most excellent Queen Sereth, the first, sole descendant of the Dominion and provisional pride to be. That's a lot Sarah's, of titles. Yeah, that was a, a big mouthful. Sarah's speaker presents, Rue, I believe is her name, presents pigments, pigments to the Empire, which wins Brother Dusk. Brother right Day, away. Right, right away. away. I just got to say, wins him over right away. <laughs> he, this guy is the easiest him. bribe in the entire universe. In the chair, he was getting very aroused. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. It's blue. Yes, it's the blue. Brother Day presents a brass model of Trantor, which causes Harris to break out insinuations of inadequacy. Demerizel calls Empire away to tell them that Foundation is probably still out there based on the discovery of a message about the Anacreans. They decide to investigate the situation before taking action against the foundation. Yeah. A lot here. This was, I thought the best dialogue of the episode Ooh, was, was brilliant. This, this trading of, of verbal knives yes. between brother day and Sarath. And, and Lee I love just that. eating the scenery on this scene. He yeah. Was so just, uh, anyway, you're yeah. saying, I was going to say that their their people are very like, hey, let's get everyone together. Mm-hmm. All of the bureaucrats. This is so true to life, too. Like you have two world leaders meet and all the bureaucrats are like, let's make sure this goes off without a hitch. And then, the you know, you, you put the world two leaders. world leaders together and they're not there. There are hitches, you know, they're playing and, and they're going to play their own games. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's yeah. going to be weird passive aggressive comments and whatnot and that's what we got here right that was all these passive aggressive comments 
when, when she said nevertheless, I was like, ooh, ooh, she's breaking <laughs> out the nevertheless. Yeah, it was brilliant. And I loved the choreography of how they reveal her with them twisting yeah. away with all the colors. It was really lovely. And I'm super excited to see what this new character is going to bring because I think it's going to yeah. get interesting. Because you have – it's really fascinating because you have brothers – Dusk and Dawn really worried that she's going to come in and marry into the family and take half the inheritance. Right. And yet she's like, I don't know if I want to be with this guy. This guy seems like he's kind of a fake. And just seeing this sort of opposite of what we thought the situation would be, or at least what these characters of the situation would be occur is a more interesting plot line than it would have been if she was, you know this this figurehead that they're marrying so that the the nations could be aligned and whatnot. I I really like the way that they presented this whole situation, and I'm excited to know more about her motivations. Why would she want to marry right. Empire? Uh, that's going to give her a lot of power, but it's also going to constrain right. her and bind her to that power. So yeah, what's how how's that going to uh, play out? And then this idea of Empire wedding and siring children. And I thought I put a note in it somewhere, but somewhere, maybe it was in an earlier conversation. There was a specific uh, point. I don't remember who it was about the uh, abnormal genome being present, or that's the abnormal genome, you know, influencing you or something like that. Hmm. And yeah, so the, this, I, I don't remember if there was. I'm sure there was at some point. Yeah, that it's in the right. notes. I thought I put a note in it. Anyway, so yeah, so that this day has decided that children and expanding the genetic pool is a good idea is really radical, right? If he's what he's the hundred, he's what is he the the hundred seventeenth? Uh, I think it was just the seventeenth. Maybe I'm wrong. No, it can't be. That can't be. I don't know. Maybe it is the hundred seventeenth. I do not. I know they told us and I just didn't make a note of it. So apologies right. for that. So maybe somebody write in. I won't apologize. Never apologize. Never. We are empire. Um, there have been rumors of an alliance at the edge of the galaxy led by magicians who glow in the darkness and fly unaided through the air and whom weapons cannot touch. So the rumors, this is all part of the psychohistory mathematics Mm-hmm. That these weird rumors are swirling around and yeah. causing people to not understand what's happening out on the outer rim. Right. So. Yeah. So, what do you think about this idea of they're gonna they're gonna watch the foundation mm-hmm. and then maybe decide later if they want to do something? Is this the right call? Because right now they could land a sneak attack, and I think they could win if they land sure. a sneak attack right now. I think they could wipe out the foundation right away. I don't think it's ever bad strategy to assess the strength of a potential opponent. So sure. I don't think it would cost them that much time or effort to get some eyes and ears out there. But to do see they have them. that time? They do not. <laughs> and right. now, right, you know, and having this impending, you know, having the, the, um, the heir, the descendant of the dominion, right? Mm-hmm. The prime witness to the cloud cathedral right on your doorstep. And she's not somebody who's a fool. Yeah. This woman is not a fool and she has come with an agenda and that is on your doorstep. And now you learning that the foundation is not dead. Right. 
you've got crisis on your hands here. Empire. And we know that this is not something like the Star Wars universe where you can go into hyperspace and get there in a few minutes. This is it takes 138 years to get between two planets at some right. point. This is not something where you can quickly get spies back and forth. To so it may be safe to jump in and arrive in the orbit of, say, our moon, but it's still going to take you a couple of weeks to then transit at sublight the distance from mm-hmm. the moon to the Earth, right? So, right. yeah, it, yeah. It so takes the question time. is, do you do you send the army with the spies or not? Mm-hmm. I guess that's their options. Yeah, I like that idea. Send an army out, get it ready, and then send in some spies just a little bit ahead of that, and so that you have real time intel. And let's be clear, this is not a moral debate here. It's clearly immoral to go like (laughs) kill all a bunch of people. But I'm talking about from the stance of I'm Brother Day. I'm trying to maintain power. I'm trying to maintain the dynasty. What's the right choice? Do I send the army or not? Well, John, get your house in order, brother. Yeah, (laughs) I did like that line a lot. I liked that line a lot. Yeah, and um, what's his name here? Where who is Brother Dust? Terrence Mann is that his name? Yeah, yeah, great, great, great acting by all three of the days, uh, brother, the brothers. Yeah, and and again, very different performance Mm -hmm. from the first two. The first Brother Dusk was extremely calm, extremely calm, kind of kind of bumbling, like he falls off the ladder and whatnot. And the second Brother Dusk is the hot-headed one that was originally Brother Day in the first episode. And he kept that hot-headedness through that yes. character. So good. This one is sort of the wise old man that is trying to give advice. Yes. Yes. It's a, they're all three different characters. They're doing a really great job. And the same thing I'll, I'll compliment Dawn to. Let's not leave him out. I Like I said, having an opposite attitude of this this kid, this teenager who just wants young love and wants to change things. And he was afraid. so mewing and pathetic in season right. one. <laughs> right. And then this one is much more confident, much mm-hmm. more sure of himself. Yes, very And much. ready to tell Day that he's wrong. Right. Love and it. hold his position and not be cowed by him. Right, right. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Call my neurons. I don't yeah. care. So, yeah, super, super good stuff. I really hope the, the official podcast is back. And uh, I would hope to hear some um, Lee Pace and Terrence Mann and Cassian Bilton uh, interviews at some point. That would be a really Very fun cool. insight yeah. to, to hear their process. All right. In the Prime Radiant, Selden determines that his companion is not Yana or Kale, but instead the Prime Radiant itself as a combination of the different creators. The Prime Radiant says that it has a vested interest in humanity uh, in humanity's destiny, which worries Selden. She, it, it tells Harry it's uh, time to go and that it's trying to help Harry knit his mind back together. Harry visualizes the dimensions flattening and unfolding and is able to open a door. The Prime Radiant promises to explain more if it can meet her on Una's world. Yeah, who is Una? Where is her world? <laughs> a lot going on here. Big question. Big open question. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, if I picked it up on the closed captioning, I don't is that how you figured it out? Yes, I could not understand her. I had to right. turn on. I mean, I always watch with subtitles because, because I don't know, especially yeah. in the summer when the AC is running, you just you're not going to hear what they're saying. I usually <laughs> 
do it on my second watch so that, you know, when I'm taking my notes, I can pick mm-hmm. up these details and stuff. But yeah, no, I, I don't hear with I don't hear without subtitles. <laughs> Interesting deviation that they're making the prime radiant sentient. I don't think that that's in the books. OK, I'll let you know next week when I finish them. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you'll be a, an expert before long. <laughs> Your work was always incomplete. Perhaps I am its completion. But who completed it? Mm, itself. I don't know. Yeah. Is it? Or, is this? Are what? What if she knows about the robot wars and is like, oh well, AI is coming back, baby. Does it have Wi-Fi? What's its Bluetooth range? How is it? Well, it, down it has all, the all of history. Mm, yeah. Right? So it's able to pre- you know, do be predictive. Yeah. So it, but it, but it knows about the robot wars. It knows what happened to AI last time. Maybe it's got a different plan. Isn't it interesting that? The current generation of AI we have right now are predictive models, right? The open mm-hmm. chat GPT stuff. That's just predictive modeling. Yeah. It's not true AI, but will it become sentient after a certain point? Is that is right? Are they saying that in in this show? I don't know. That's a good question. It sure is. You'll appreciate it down to your bones. That was a really weird line. Especially because he doesn't have bones. Exactly. So what does that mean? And it, it made me think of uh, the Matrix when the, uh, the I forget her name, what her character's name is in the, you know, she's making cookies, you know, from, from balls to bones or something. She says like that. Like, well, wasn't, the wasn't the vault being. on Terminus the casket? It was. You were correct. So his bones are there. Interesting. So is Una's world another word for Terminus? Hmm. Who knows? Don't know. So yeah. I don't know. Let's hear your and fan it, theories. It, right it'd, be pretty, it'd be pretty easy for him to meet her on Terminus since he's already there. That conscious, right? Two different consciousnesses. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm looking forward to the war of Harry Seldon's. Yeah. That's going to be very cool. And with Empire in the mix, too. Yeah. You know, but from the moment that, and this is something, again, I, I, I didn't get to cover season one, so I'm going to talk about certain things here. I was a little suspicious of Harry from the beginning. He seemed yeah. like he had it too much together. And he too was very deceptive with Gail right away. Mm-hmm. And I have always suspected that perhaps he could become a villain. Interesting. I'm not sure. I don't think we're there yet. I think he's okay. still a gray character. I don't think he's a good guy either. I think mm-hmm. he's a gray character. Uh, but he's a much more interesting character than I think the first episode would have made me think. I think I had messaged you after I watched whatever episode he gets killed in. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, man, I'm going to miss Jared Harris. I mean, he was such a core to the show, it felt like. Where is he? And here he is. And then, yeah, he's back. A few episodes later, I went, oh, OK, they they brought him back. It's OK. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, and yeah, and, and well, well done showrunners for being able to keep a central character like this as an active component. So Yeah, and like I said, they they keep people around in a very creative way. You know, they yeah. have two people in cryo, they have the clones, they have the robot, they got the the digital consciousness. I mean, it's really creative the way that they bring all these characters into the future and don't make it feel forced. And I believe all the math is going to line up too about uh sublight travel and relativistic distances and ages okay. and all that kind of stuff. So That's cool. Yeah, I think they they go. I think they go to that length in this show. Nice. So, all right. Salvor asks Gail to free Harry to help them find uh, sh- the fault in the ship that is keeping them from taking off in front of the storm. But Gail refuses because of their bad parting. Harry appears spontaneously, 
and he looks like he's out for Gail's blood. It's time you and I had a reckoning. The way he screams her name, Gail Dornick. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's almost like Harry Potter in when Dumbledore is shouting at Harry in the in the Mm -hmm. fourth movie, Harry Potter. Oh, you know, the, the just shouting. Love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's looking very upset. So yes, we're, we're going to see. I would say so. But now we have three fates pushed together and a big question of will they, won't they? Will Harry help them get off the planet in front of this impending storm? And can they work it out in a quick enough time frame? So you've got Harry who's mad at Gale Gail and Salvor with a tenuous relationship and Salvor who has a worshipy heroy view of Harry. So you've got this very interesting triangle and mm-hmm. are they going to be able to work it out in time? Yeah. Well, I think Harry will at least help pilot the ship because he doesn't want to die either. World. Yeah. He does not want to die either, but I don't but think he's- they're going where Gail wants to go. But he's not right in the head, so yeah. But I think he's I think he's right enough to have a little bit of survival instinct. Okay, all right. He was he was right enough to understand some a, a lot of what happened in when he was inside the Prime Radiant for sure. Right. So I so. think I think I think he's going to get them off planet at least. Okay. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, if um, that uh, if you got theories on that, write into us at empire at thelorehounds.com. Hop over to our Discord server, link in the show notes below. We've got a channel all set up for foundation uh, and folks are already talking about stuff. Um, Or leave us a voicemail. Uh, Go to our website, use the contact form or leave us a voicemail. John, I've got a few open questions that I'm starting to track just quickly and I'll I'll hit these at the beginning of next episode. What was uh, Selden's father doing with the sand shapes? Shadow puppets. Uh, Move on. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> what about Day's aura? Who who messed with it and why? Demerzel, move on. I'm going to answer all these rapid fire. We, <laughs> you, that's because we were doing these rapid fire questions with Alicia on this side. I know, and now it's in my head. Morning. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, will we learn more about blind angels and psycho encryption? No, move on. Gail's <laughs> vision of fire and silhouette. What's going on with that? A lot. What is the <laughs> prime radius is consciousness? Is it and truly our uh, you know AI that generated itself? It's Harry, Kale, and Yana seasoned with Gale. Go. The rings around Trantor. Are we going to get to see more? What are they used for? It's a roller coaster. Go. And where or what is Una's world? Let's go with Terminus. All right, that's it. We've <laughs> we've solved the season. Well done. Good job. Right in if you. you if you want to uh, take issue with any of John's uh, <laughs> rapid fire answers, John, um, as we do with every podcast, we like to thank our Patreon subscribers and especially our lore masters who are our top tiers. Would you like to give them all a shout out, please? Would love to. Here they are. Some Martian Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Doove 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Joyce E, Andrew B, and Kwang Yu, recently upgraded to Loremaster. And I know we've just 
activated annual billing and people are excited for it and they are joining us in that. So yeah, if you want a little you can, discount and you want to support us for the year, that's uh, that's available now. And you can roll over your existing membership uh, yep. without a problem. I think you just go on the website and there's you know, on your yep. membership, there's some way you can just click a button and, and do that. And that should you know, make it easier for you for billing and whatnot. Another big thing. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We are sending you a gift. We're going to send you a cool sticker to celebrate. I've seen the mocks. I've seen one the year anniversary. Anyone, anyone, anyone who is a subscriber at the end of July, doesn't matter. You could subscribe on the last day uh, at, you know, 1159 PM and you will still get one of these stickers. Uh, I'm going to send them to in the mail and they are just a way for John and I to express our profound and deep uh, gratitude for all the support we've had for this last year of our podcasting foray, our entrance into this world of talking about TV and movies and books and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. uh, again, thank you to everyone. Yeah. John, you. do you want to update folks on what Alicia is up to? Speaking of Alicia, we just were on her podcast and we, we had a good time. There was, it was a game show format for <laughs> her season. So wrap up. It was very funny. She's, yeah. It was very it was good. It was a really good time. Even if, if you didn't watch foundation, uh, sorry, silo, uh, I, I would still listen to it. Cause I think we had a great time. We're just chatting. We, she's got sound effects. She had a soundboard going for it. And uh, yeah, so do that. She also just launched a Patreon for her podcast to do a book club. So oh, always, you know, if you want to support her, it's just just another button away. Uh, but she's going on to do a book club about the Silo series. And she just interviewed Hugh Howie for it, too. Yes. So as Hugh, Hugh Howie wrote the Silo books, if you didn't know. And that was a good interview. I listened to it. You know, he's, he's given a lot of answers away. So check that out. She got most of it on the public feed. I think part of it on the private feed. And then I think they're also going to fire up uh, a Dune uh, doing, they're going to talk about the Dune book and um, the four different visual adaptations that were done. Yes. Yes. So, and then speaking of Dune, we yes. were just on Maester Anthony and Steve's podcast, also part of the Lorehounds network which is properly Howard film reviews. We just reviewed Dune 2021 with them. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. We talked about Willy Wonka for a minute, which is unexpected, but it happened thanks to Timothy Chalamet. And uh, I think that'll come out sometime in August. They're starting a new season where they're going to be covering a lot of remakes. And I think that's going to be a great time. August 21st, in fact. Nice. So you can find out if that film is better, worse, or properly a Ron Howard movie in quality. Yeah. They're also doing uh, white men can't jump, which should be out August 14th and August 28th, RoboCop 2014. So that sounds fun. Yeah. And then they got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, about seven or eight more after that. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on, on those titles as they come. We've got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff coming up too, David. Yes. We just did a one shot on the bear which was a, an amazing show. Yes. Anthony and I, speaking of Anthony, he and I did Asteroid City. That should also be in your feeds if you want to check those two out. Uh, this new one-shot format allows us to do one-off podcasts on any particular topic, and we can pull in different co-hosts and, and stuff like that. You guys did Mrs. Davis. We weren't allowed to do it before that. No, we weren't. It was physically <laughs> and morally impossible. Uh, Attack of the Clones, John. We had a great time watching it. I yeah, had we fun just did a live watch. It. Yeah, yeah you, you, me, and Doove. We held yeah. down the fort. That's right. 
and we'll have uh, that podcast out later this month. You and Brandon are doing a Lorehounds play. You yeah, did we recorded it already. Fall in order. That'll, that should be out pretty soon, actually. I think that's coming out okay. this week. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order, right? Jedi Fallen Order. It's a canon video game in the Star Very Wars cool. universe. Yeah. And it stars, speaking of the bear, we all the shameless kids are in all our content right now. Uh, you got one shameless kid running the bear. You got another shameless kid, the red-haired one. I can never remember his name. But he is the lead in Jedi Fallen Order, You know, motion capture. So it's actually his likeness in the video game. We had a great time talking about it. And it is a cool story. It's got a very Rogue One scene towards the end that nice. I think you will like to hear about, David. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Check that out. Speaking of Star, more Star Wars, we have Ahsoka coming up. And we're going to do a four-part prep podcast so that if you're not so familiar with the Ahsoka storyline and character, we're going to get you ready for that live-action show, which looks Dope. Like, Do you know that. Disney heard about what we're doing and they released <laughs> a playlist of Ahsoka oh, really? background? Is it, it does it Disney comport Plus. with it's yours? It's basically the same. Okay. It's nice. so close to okay. what I put. And I'm pr- both proud and offended. <laughs> As well, you should be. Uh, if we had if we had been on our content game, we would have gotten out before them. Okay? I know Bob Iger, really. I, I know big fan of the Lorehounds podcast. Coming for you. Kathleen Kennedy's coming for you. I know. She's got your number. Uh, Book Nook, Further Shore with Marilyn Arpaquila. We've got part two coming up. We've got a Silmarillion story that also just happens to have Marilyn as our guest on that. Uh, and that's going to be The Flight of the Noldor. Is that right, John? We're doing two chapters. Okay. We're doing that one and the next one. So break out your Silmarillion because we got it going on. If you want to listen to the Silmarillion, do you know who just released their reading of the Silmarillion? I do not know. Who Andy Circus. Oh, no way. Has now released his reading of the Silmarillion. Interesting. You can get that in Gollum right voice, the entire stuff. thing in Gollum voice. <laughs> he actually has a really great, I mean, you know this from Andor. He has a great, yes. rich, deep voice. He does. As well. Yeah. And he does a really great job doing all the voices. You could tell how much he loves I am Kino Roy. <laughs> yeah. He just loves that material. That's awesome. Lord of the Rings. And it's very cool. It's really nice to hear. But yeah, I, I did. I did get the audiobook because okay. I wanted to you hear his to. voice in it. And yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I'm a super fan of this stuff. Uh, and I mean, I even just launched my my solo series oh, yeah. on the Patreon, Shira Side. Patreon Cats. exclusive. Patreon, yeah, Patreon exclusive. exclusive. I just I already I already outlined the second episode. I gotta record nice. it, but it's that'll drop again soon. Very cool. John and not John, Jean and Alicia and I are wrapping up our coverage of Secret Invasion. We've got two episodes to go on that. We're actually having a good time. The show at some levels is a bit rough cut, but the deeper level issues that they're dealing with, that the characters are dealing with and what it's saying about uh, some stuff in our modern society is really fascinating. And we've gotten into some very long, interesting conversations about what the show is saying. And uh, so, yeah, I, in, I encourage you, if you're a fan of any of that stuff, um, give us a listen there. You can and then have I a, think, ba- a bad show with a great conversation and you yes, will have a great time. Exactly. Hey, just to jump in to listen to Alicia and Jean and I have a good time talking about yeah. stuff. So, yeah. uh, And I think we're going to try. It's, it may end up being in August, but we're going to try and do Barbenheimer. I'm excited. John, are you going to see Barbie? See- you're just going to see Barbie. Awesome. I'm just going to see it. Barbie. I'm going to be on Team Barbie. 
Okay, I think I'm going to be Team Oppenheimer. Okay, and I I know Alicia is uh, doing the double feature. We got to see what Marilyn and Jean and Brandon, anybody else that we can get from the Lorehounds crew to to join us, because I think it, we're going to get a. Should I record a cover of Barbie Girl? Yes, you should. You should. All right, all right. Yeah. I'll think about it. I'll think. That'll about be it. awesome. So, so that is a lot, John. July is ramping back up. We had a little content desert there for a while, but we are in full swing because I like how you call it a content desert when we do like 15 podcasts (laughs) in a month. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the input is not, is not much, but the output did not feel like it. We did not, we did (laughs) not, we did not waver in our, in our commitment. Yeah. But we're rolling in. We've got uh, Foundation, we've got Ahsoka, and then we've got, good Lord, Wheel of Time. We're going to be triple podcasting at one I point. am triple excited blessings for Wheel of Time. Triple I'm blessings really excited. to you. Uh, yeah. Triple are you, blessings, are, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Are you, <laughs> are you uh, hearing any good stuff about Wheel of Time season two? Uh, I mean, the trailer looks really good. There is a shot of Matt with a staff. Uh huh. That has me and all the other book readers so hyped. You have no idea how Mm. hyped we are. And if they screw this up, I'm stopping coverage. That's that's where I'm at. It's that it's that cool of a scene. If they screw it up, I'm not really going to stop coverage. But I'm going to complain a lot about it. I'm going to complain a lot about it on air. (laughs) So let's hope they don't, because I don't want to do that. Awesome. Well, John, thanks for um, jumping in on Foundation. I'm glad we're we've got a nice, juicy, meaty show to cover. Yeah, it's and, fun to uh, talk about because it's just yeah. so dense. And there's going to be a lot more. I, th- I mean, we're only getting started. I think so. Yeah, it's very cool. Awesome. All right, so we'll see you on the next episode, whatever it may be. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com/contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.